What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Doreen Grand Dr. Doreen Grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen on a special day and a special time. I'm Shannon Penrod and as you can see, I have the fabulous, the wonderful, the amazing Dr. Doreen Grampiche uh, right there to the, to the left or right, depending on where you're watching of me. Uh, so normally, as you guys know, we do this on Tuesday mornings now, but we needed to do this at a special uh, time and place. And so we did and we're so thrilled that we still get to have her this week. So hopefully you guys will start to write into the chat with some of the questions that you have, because for the next hour, Dr. Doreen is going to answer your questions in real time. We are live today. It is the 15th of June, 2022. For those of you who are keeping track, Poppy, we're saying good morning to you. Uh, again, we're live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and about a dozen other places. Traven, we'll start to show those to you on the screen. And remember that this show podcasts later on today to all of your favorite platforms that you like to download podcasts, any place where you can download it free, that is where we are. But one programming note, previously, it when you would go to iTunes, when you were downloading the podcast, you had the choice to download video or audio. Right now, you only have the choice to download audio. So far, that's been working for us and we haven't heard anybody grouse so we're continuing on with that, but please let us know if that's a problem for you. What we want to encourage you to do, you know, YouTube has expanded its platform. You can even go to YouTube on your smart TV and watch Autism Live. So if you want to watch the video podcast, we encourage you to go to YouTube where you can find a 10 plus year library of videos there to answer all of your questions, not the least of which is a library of videos from this fantastic expert that I have next to me. Good morning, Dr. Good morning, Shannon. Thank you so much. And it's lovely to be here, although we're still not in the same studio, but I'm very happy that, you know, one of the positive things about COVID was that we learned how to do this 
So now wherever I am, I can always uh, get on the show, which is lovely. And good morning, Amanda, with the blue hearts. Yes, we love it when Amanda shows up with her blue hearts. I do want to say, if you guys are unfamiliar with Dr. Grampichet, if it's possible that you've never seen this program or heard her speak before, I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning because she won't tell you, but she is a true expert in this field of autism. She's been working in this field for more than 40 years. Four zero, more than 40 years. I always say that and people go 14. She has 14 and no, 40, 40 plus years experience uh, working with all kinds of individuals on the spectrum from very young babies, even up through senior citizens. And I always like to remind all of you that she's been the visionary who's seen around corners, who always was about our topic this week. We always have a topic of the week that's sort of overreaching, Dr. Grampichet. And our topic this week is seeing whole individuals, which you led the charge on this and said, let's not lump all these young people into one category. They're individuals. They have individual needs. They have individual biomedical needs, individual behavioral needs, individual needs that the family has and the culture that the family brings to it, plus the siblings. You always were advocating for the whole individual, the whole family. We appreciate you so much. Thank you so much, Shannon. Yeah, and it's um, a wonderful topic that you are still... uh, supporting i guess and and presenting because you know i i can't believe that even though i've been in the field for like 44 years i still the same stuff comes up it's the same issues it's it's unbelievable that you know you go to an aba provider and ever you know everybody knows that i'm a big supporter of really high quality aba but you there are many aba providers who don't uh either understand and or encourage uh, any of the medical interventions. So that's a little scary because they are our primary providers of services. And I always, when I was at CARD, I would uh, teach everyone um, all of the issues with my medical. Having me, Shannon, or is it okay because of these signs that say, no, you're breaking up a little bit, but we're getting the gist of it, that you you were somebody who always taught this to the people that you worked with, that they that they need to listen and they need to listen and see the whole individual. Um, I just have so much respect for that. I, you know, you and I both have the opportunity now to sometimes be speaking to people who provide services, whether it's ABA or OTs or whatever. And I, I want to say it was like about a year ago, it was during COVID that I was meeting with a group of therapists um, that the company had asked me to come in and speak. And and I said, nothing is off the table. Ask any question. And this one very brave young man raised his hand and he said, you know, I'm trying to talk to this mom about her child's behavior. And all she wanted to talk about was diet, which is just crazy to think that if they stop feeding their kid bread, that he's somehow miraculously going to behave differently. And he goes, so what can I say to her to get her off of that kick? And I, and I said to him, I said, bless your heart. I absolutely love you. And I love the, the fervor with which you asked this question. I'm going to give you a hug and explain to you how you need to get on her page. Yeah. <laughs> and he was, it was like, I'd slapped him. He really wasn't too sure. But you know, the example that I gave him, I said, you know, okay, you're an adult who's incredibly well-spoken and wonderful. If I sat you down right now and I fed you, you know, uh, a bunch of sugar 
and then I gave you some scotch and then I asked you to do your job. How well would you do? And he said, well, yeah. I would be messed up. And I said, so what you're telling me is that you know that what you ingest can have a bearing on how well you can take in information. And he went, oh, okay, I think I got it. You know what I mean? But he was so entrenched in the idea that yeah. as a behaviorist, yeah, yeah, that that food had nothing to do with anything. And and bless his heart, I mean, um, I think he's probably somebody who wants to be very good at what he does. But you know, we we try to expand people's minds a little bit. <laughs> Well, that's, that's the whole point, right? I mean, like, uh, you know, a, a good behavior therapist who's asking questions and trying to learn, that's wonderful. And that's yes. just the beginning of their career. But it is, it is the responsibility of those BCBAs to learn this stuff. So one of the things I'm very proud of is that I was able to uh, get the Association for Behavior Analysis, ABAI, to have a speaker every year at their major conference uh, who focused on biomedical issues. And that I think is wonderful. I mean, I don't, it's going to take a little while to, for it to build up, I think, but so far we've had uh, Dr. Richard Fry, who's incredible. And Dr. Jim Adams this year, who was amazing. And I think that gradually over time, people will begin to, that, that we'll be building that bridge. Well, that's an amazing bridge that you have built. So thank you for that. Uh, we are taking questions. I'm going to get to one in just a second that was written in uh, to us uh, this week. But I want to start because uh, Adventures with Shaden, I think I hope I said your uh, child's name right, says our little girl was diagnosed in 2011. She was nonverbal severe. We put her on medication in GF. SFCF. And within three days, she had eye contact and started improving. It's been a long road. She's verbal and thriving today. I, I love hearing that because it goes right to the heart of what we're talking about. Um, of course, though, I do want to say and have you speak about Dr. Grampy Shea that, you know, sometimes when you get the right diet, when you get the right biomedical intervention with a child, you can see pretty miraculous things that happen. But I find that sometimes families get so entrenched in that that they let everything else go. They go, okay, we're going to get there just with diet. And I think it was you that said to me at one point, well, if diet and, and biochemically what's happening with the child is preventing them from learning, when we fix that, they can now learn, but we yeah. still need to teach them. Absolutely. I mean, I always say that it is lots of different parts to this, right? So the first part is getting all of the biochemical stuff under control, because while, as you explained to that young man, while you are not, while you've ingested things that you are either allergic to or not able to digest or are causing mischief one way or another, uh, you're not able to learn. You're not open to learning, right? You're completely, you're a little foggy maybe, or you're hyperactive or distracted or all these other things. So getting the the diet, the biomedical, other, you know, just working on the various biomedical factors is step one, I think. And then also not to forget things that hopefully will adjust and improve once you fix the biomedical. The next thing I'm always looking at is sleep. For me, sleep is, is incredibly important, right? So like, I want to make sure all of my kids are sleeping well. If I have the, the, the 
medical issues stabilized and my child is sleeping well, then the next thing I'm looking at is sensory input. And it's kind of like, how is this child functioning in the world? How are they taking in information? It's funny, yesterday I was having a conversation with someone on a flight and they were saying that they have continual tinnitus, right? Which is ringing in the ears. And this gentleman was very interested in autism. He had a nephew with autism and we got to talking and it just appeared to like it, we we both kind of came to the conclusion that you know, we have to pay so much attention to the sensory input of our kids because imagine if you have ringing in your ears for instance the whole time how are you going to focus on anything else right and i know from one of my former uh children who's an adult now that there there is a difference in how they receive information how so like he told me he had a very hard time focusing on language on speech that sound was a background noise because there was another sound that was always uh present right and you know tinnitus is not a external stimulus right it's your brain doing that And so it would be very likely for our kids that there are other extrinsic factors that are interfering with their sensory input. So it could be something auditory, which obviously then has to do with the learning of language, could be something visual, which also has to do with all aspects of nonverbal communication and social behavior, right? That's like we talk about how why our children don't have eye contact, but and or why they have a hard time learning something uh, when it's not presented in a visual format, like a, a words or something. So, so this so the thing that becomes important after you have the biomedical and sleep under control, I think, is figuring out how does this individual learn? Like, what is their best method of learning? We all have different methods, right, Shannon? I mean, for me, I am a visual learner. I like to have things written down. It will always help me if I have a written something as opposed to auditory. So that's important. And then ABA comes in and is a fantastic technique for teaching because it breaks everything down into smaller steps that are cohesive and that are in the right order. And um, it's a fantastic teaching technique. And so then it becomes really important to do that. And while you're doing ABA, I don't want to forget that one of the most important things on an ongoing basis is just the mood and um, kind of mental uh capacity of the child you want to make sure the child is happy and not anxious because so many of our kids or adults start to experience anxiety and that then kind of conflicts with everything else as well thank you for saying that because i think it's super important and i love that the mom wrote back in and i I had a feeling that she was this kind of a mom uh but she said we did aba speech ot social groups and special education homeschooling now we have to remember that every person is unique and has their own unique needs and challenges what works for one and may not work for may not work for others thank you ladies for educating but i think that it's that kind of approach you know that uh because if if you go through it's all the things that you were talking about that this parent took and they're having good results she says it's been a long journey 
but yes. they're having good results. Amanda also said that they're um, that they're now working on acquiring um, skills that were missing during that period of time when your child was struggling with whatever they're struggling. They are going to miss learning some skills, and you can catch up on those things. Amanda also reports that sleep is so much better now, and that that has made it so much easier getting school done and getting to school every morning now, which is absolutely you know, amen. Uh, we, we're so happy to hear that. I kind of want to pivot to one of the most devastating questions we've ever gotten here at, uh, at Autism Live and Ask Dr. Doreen. And it, like, I'm emotional even thinking about it. So I need everybody to fasten your seatbelts because uh, we've got the expert here to talk with us about this. But this is, you know, one of the toughest things. Uh, uh, somebody wrote in anonymously, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes when I punish my child, he fails to understand that he is being punished unless I do serious damage. This makes me nuts and I start feeling suicidal. What should I do? There's a lot there to unpack. I'm so grateful that we have Dr. Grand Pichet here. Uh, I'm giving us all a hug. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we have the ability to talk about this. So where do you want to yeah. start? Well, first of all, if you are listening to this show or if you should see this show, no matter when it is, please, please contact uh, me, contact Shannon, contact a professional, someone who can help you and someone who can intervene because we don't want you, we don't want harm to your child and we don't want harm to you. Um, And I know sometimes it feels just hopeless Um, but it is not hopeless. It's so simple. You only need a little bit of help. Um, And I will say that, you know, everyone, every parent has at some point in their parenting felt overwhelmed and uh, just, you know, I'm going to lose it. I can't handle this. This is just too much for me. But uh, you need to have help because, you never ever punishment just does not work. It just will not work. What it does is it will teach your child fear. And when your child learns fear, they will go through life with a million other problems and issues. Uh, You know, it is frustrating sometimes when our kids don't understand what we're trying to get across. It absolutely is. But there are, this is exactly what I was talking about earlier, Shannon, is that ABA has a way to break things down and help the child comprehend. More than anything else, sometimes I think, Shannon, that one of the beautiful aspects of ABA is the support that it provides to the family, right? Because when you're doing a comprehensive ABA program, you have a bunch of people coming in and helping you with your child and explaining things, explaining how to communicate, explaining how to uh, interact, explaining how to break things. I don't know whether we've lost her or me, but we, she's frozen. 
in the in one of the most critical moments uh, where we wanted to talk to her. Uh, we're going to get her back uh, one way or the other, but I'm just giving us all a hug. And I know I see all of you writing in and talking about things that you do that help you when you're overwhelmed, which I love. Please write in because I think uh, we've got her back now. Sorry about that, Dr. Grampuche. I was I was just acknowledging I was just acknowledging they're all writing in about things that they do that help them when they're overwhelmed. And I'm asking them please to continue to do that because I think that's helpful to us as well, but continue with what you were talking about. Yeah. And I think I see a lot of the comments coming in are saying the same thing, which is, you know, in that moment of frustration, you need to step back. You you need someone there who who can just take the child and deal with whatever is going on. And you're a human being. Let me just start by reminding you that you are a human being as well. And so you have the right to step back and have a moment of peace and a moment of just taking care of yourself, as does your child. Your child has the right to have someone working with them who's not frustrated. And, and believe me, as a parent, I know we all get extremely frustrated, but please, 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 the best thing you can do is just get anyone else, anyone, it doesn't have to be a trained professional, just anyone else to come and be there so that you have respite. So you have the moments where you're frustrated, you can just stop and say, I'm not dealing with this. I'm walking away until I'm calm. And that's, you know, you just, there's so many things that you can do to calm down. Absolutely. There, um, there is a chapter in my book that's called when you feel you can't go on. And the reason why there's a chapter there is because there needs to be a chapter there. And, and there's a quote right now that my publisher has put on everything from the book, from that chapter that says, you know, I, I don't think I know a single parent that hasn't at least for one moment felt like they couldn't go on. And that, that doesn't make you a bad parent. That makes you human. That's what the quote is. It doesn't tell you what the next sentence is, which is my favorite sentence in the whole book that I say to people, but I'm going to ask you to do something really hard. And I know you think I'm going to ask you to suck it up and just do it. That's not what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to do something even harder. Ask for help. And it's hard. And sometimes the first person you ask for help isn't able to give it. And it feels like, see, that didn't work, but you got to ask for help and you got to keep asking for help until somebody gives it to you. And I, well, I think what we learned earlier this year, because there was that very horrible case uh, a couple of months ago of the mom who had three kids and reached critical mass. And she took two of her kids who were not on the spectrum and dropped them off with a friend and then took the third child who was 10 years old on the spectrum and left him on the side of the road in the rain uh, with cars going by. And, uh, you know, I, I, the thing that was crushing to me was that there was a thought process where she thought to herself, who can I trust two of my kids with? And she did not feel like she had anybody that I'm guessing that she didn't feel like she had anybody that she thought could handle her third kid. I'm saying to everybody within the sound of my voice, find somebody. Uh, find somebody that you trust and drop your kids off with them while you go get yourself right, if that's what you need to do. Or as Dr. Grampy Shea said, have someone that you trust come into your home so you can take a break. Um, yeah. But I but I think that we have to acknowledge that these kinds of things happen. And, and it's very common. 
I, can I very quickly say that I certainly felt that way? Otherwise, I wouldn't have included it in my book, that there was a day and a time where my son, and he was little, so I can't even imagine for those of you who have big, big kids, but he was hitting me in the head, closed fist, punching me in the head. That's how he was communicating with me. And I knew that I was in a very scary, scary place. And I literally came into my ABA provider, which was card and said to them, I need help. I need help today or something bad is going to happen. And to this day, I don't know what it was that like, it was so big and so horrible. I couldn't even name it. I don't know whether I was going to hurt myself or potentially hit him back. Um, but I knew that I, it, I wasn't going to be able to maintain it. Do you know what I'm saying? And um, and I and I had to be that blunt and say something terrible is going to happen. I'm not leaving until you help me. And they helped me. And it was hard. And and it was, I think, the bravest thing I've ever done, honestly, because I was the most afraid. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if you guys were going to take him away from me. Like I didn't know. And and all of those fears were were wrapped up into that ball. But I did get help. And that is not a part of my everyday. And every time I see a parent getting punched in the head and I see it all too often, my heart breaks because I, I remember how I was feeling yeah. and I felt, I felt like it was my fault. I felt that I deserved it. I felt that I needed to keep it secret or people would think that my son was a monster. And I felt that if I said something that people were going to take my child away and that he would be injured or locked yeah. up. Yeah. It's a bad place to be in. It's just, and on top of that, I think another feeling that a lot of parents tell me is that they, you know, people, they feel judged. They feel oh. like people are looking at them and saying, yeah. it's your fault that your child is aggressive. You taught him this. And yeah. what people don't understand is that the child is frustrated and communicating that way, you know, and it's just such a terrible cycle to be in, yeah. which is why I was just saying to this person who wrote in, please just get, you know, there's, there's a number of different things. One is obviously you need the help of someone who can step into that moment. So you need someone available that you can drop your child off with, or that's just for now. And then going forward, what you need is a schedule that allows you to have you know, an hour a day for yourself, perhaps, and maybe see a therapist, maybe see a psychiatrist, get some medication that will help you be calmer with the situation. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We all have moments of life when the stress is so overwhelming that we need some help. Uh, and please do those things. And then once you have, you can't you cannot fix things for your child if you're not okay. So we need to get you to a point where you can handle because you're steering this ship. Yeah, so yeah. we need to get you to a point where you are feeling good enough to steer the ship. Okay. I'm so sorry. Also like big hug to you because yeah. there's just, it's just so difficult. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And uh, I love, you know, I, I love Amanda says, if you're in Houston, I'm always here to help. I love that, Amanda. That's just, you have such a big heart. And uh, uh, so many programs out there that people don't know about that can help. There are. 
Um, and sometimes it's just a matter of hooking up with your local resources. And we, you know, we're always open here. You can write to me. And what I do sometimes uh, when somebody writes specifically to me, I'll tell you exactly what I do is I go online, I look at where they live and I try to find what are the resources uh, for I don't remember, Traven. Traven says, wasn't that the topic of the week last week? I don't remember what the topic of the week last week was. <laughs> That's terrible. That's how old I am. But um, but what I do is I will go and beat the bushes for you in your local community to see who is the person who can hook you up with stuff. Um, and then I come back to you with some phone numbers and say, here's, here's what I found out. So that I, I do that initial legwork because I think that initial legwork is so frustrating because you find a lot of dead ends and I'm just a little used to it. And I, you know, I put pressure on people and, and because I know it's, I'm not overwhelmed at the moment and I, I'm always overtired, but that's another Oprah. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I, I, because I know, and I've done it before, sometimes I can get to what phone number is the person that you need to call faster. So please take advantage of that. Put me to work as much as I possibly can. You know what my dream is, Dr. Grampy-Shay, that at some point that we have a, a, a person, a mom or a dad in every single state, like Amanda, who's always willing to help, that we that knows the lay of the land in their community, and that that they're our first phone call and we go, Hey, you know, they're in this part of your state. What are the resources? And that we have this network. Uh, and I know that uh, autism society of America is a little bit like that, that they, they have offices all over the places, but sometimes the office isn't where we need to have it, but sometimes they're a good resource. Well, I was actually going to suggest Taka because at some point Taka had a lot of parents all over the country. I'm not sure if they've kept that up, but Talk moms were, were a fantastic resource. Absolutely. Absolutely. We should say TACANow.org and search to see if there is a TACA group in your area. TACANow.org. And Amanda, as soon as I said that knows the lay of the land, I knew that you just moved. But I know it's going to be five minutes from now and you will you will have the lay of the land where you are now. Uh and those who have been through it can skip the unnecessary steps to get to the right help. We're also here to help. We're in uh, SoCal Riverside uh, County. Fabulous. That's good to know. I want to get back to uh, some more questions, though. But please, if you are the person who, if you are feeling what that person wrote or um, you are the person that wrote that, I want to make sure that everybody has my email, which is shannon at autism-live.com. And I am happy to be put to work. Uh, that's a great break in my day to go search up resources for somebody else. I, that's like a vacation for me. Shannon at autism-live.com. Somebody wrote in, and this is pretty broad, but they said medication, yes or no? <laughs> uh, I mean. Great question. Great question. So I am a medication yes person. And that doesn't mean that everyone needs to be a medication yes person. But as you know, when I was a scientist back in the, my, my doctoral days, uh, everything that we studied in terms of therapies, uh, there were studies that showed that the result was always improved if you ha also had some sort of help from medication. 
So for example, depression, you can do uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, you can do a variety of different types of therapies. But if you add a uh, antidepressant medication, then the results are tremendously better. Uh, ADHD, same thing, et cetera, et cetera. So almost all uh, kind of uh, problems, uh, you have a solution that's a little bit easier and faster to get to when you look at medication. Now, that being said, it's a really important thing because we're dealing with autism, that you differentiate, you, you really understand what medication does. Medication, separate from supplements, right? Medication uh, reduces the, the symptoms. It doesn't alter the cause. And that's a really important thing. It's kind of like when you have a headache, you take Tylenol. And the Tylenol will uh, basically disable you from feeling pain. And that's what happens. The, the thing that's causing the pain is still there. Um, so with autism, I think it becomes really, really important that if you do decide to take medication, you continue to pursue uh, reasons why things are happening anyway to begin with. So I think like, for instance, anxiety is a good one. Like a lot of our kids experience anxiety um, and, or they have obsessive compulsive types of behaviors and they respond tremendously well when they are given a SSRI medication, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor medication. They do incredibly well. A lot of their obsessive needs are, are kind of reduced pretty significantly. But then over time, it kind of maybe becomes really important to ask, why does this individual experience anxiety? What are some ways I can give them to calm themselves so they don't have anxiety? And so those are some of the things that are very, very important, I think, with medication to realize. Now, the other thing I want to say about it is that I've had the experience with kids over the years of having been a provider for thousands of kids that sometimes kids on the spectrum will have kind of a reverse effect with medications. So like when a medication is supposed to do one thing, it'll do another thing with our kids. So for instance, clonidine is a medication that is very calming and puts you to sleep essentially. And sometimes with our kids, I've had children where clonidine will make them hyperactive. So keep that in mind. Like our kids are a little bit biochemically different. And so it becomes really, really important to, uh, you know, test things out, go slow, uh, make sure that you're under the care of a physician who's watching over you so that you can uh, do the right thing. Don't listen to other people who are, your child is different from your friend's child. Uh, what works for your friend's child may not work for you. These are some things that are super important. And uh, yeah, I think those, and also like one of the things you can do, and not always in medicine, but with medicine, you can do like tests that will determine very objectively if the child has improved because you don't want the improvement to be like a doctor's opinion. 
there has to be some consensus on the fact that things are actually getting better. Absolutely. I I love that you're talking about using it in conjunction with other things, just like we were saying about diet before you would never just do diet and you would never just do medications. I I just want to add on to the fire though, that, uh, you know, you said, make sure that you're working with a physician who's going to work with you and make sure that they're reputable. I have seen, I'm sure you have too, Dr. Grampichet, where they just want to prescribe the medicine and say, and that's done. That's the prescription. I gave it to you. Your problem should be over now. They don't want to yeah. hear if they're having a reaction to it. They don't want to hear if you if they if your child is now drugged to the point where they are not themselves. They don't want to hear, you know, it's interfering with this part of life. So please listen to Dr. Grampichet that be working with someone who's not like that. Absolutely. And there's also this, you know, everybody probably you've heard the term placebo effect. And I want to talk about that a little bit because it happens a lot in autism, right? We are, placebo effect is when you're so hopeful that a medication or something, a treatment, something will work, that even if it doesn't work, you truly see a positive impact. And that happens a lot. I mean, that happened, uh, well, over the course of my life, I've seen it with so many different things. This gentleman I was talking to yesterday was asking me if hyperbaric oxygen works. And it reminded me of this whole period of time when everyone was doing HBOT therapy. And we did at great expense, actually, you know, at that time, it was like two and a half, three million dollars. We invested in research studies where we tested the effects of hyperbaric oxygen. And they did not have an effect on the symptoms of autism across hundreds of kids that we tested. But nevertheless, today, people are still doing it. At that point, it was very prevalent and it went down. That's what's called a placebo effect, where where there's a strong belief that there's going to be a difference, there's going to be an improvement, a change, and so we keep doing it. But that's also very important because sometimes you will have your child on a medication that's absolutely not doing anything and you, the physician will say, let's just keep increasing the dose. And because you as a parent are hopeful, you'll keep going on with it. So it's very hard and it's important to like, just try to stay very objective. Yeah. Joyce says, we actually have a medication management physician psychiatrist. Best thing we ever did was order the DNA testing to guide prescribing okay. medications. Very interesting. Uh, okay. Yes. I want to get to... Oh, go ahead. Can I just quickly comment yeah. on that too? The DNA testing is awesome. I mean, you can. There's testing that can tell you what medications you will do well on, what medications you will not respond to. Problem is that the DNA testing itself has not yet been proven to be very accurate. So mm-hmm. just you know, keep your mind on it as well, Joyce. Okay, there we go. Uh, Somebody wrote in and said, my son is six years old and has auditory processing issues. I have to enunciate and break each word for him, for him to hear it correctly. Could it be possible that his articulation could be affected because of this? Uh, Lots of background noise, listening and responding becomes even more difficult. Yes, that's right. What a wonderful... Uh, observation from a parent. And I got to tell you, yes, absolutely. These are the the things that, you know, over the course of 44 years, I learned from our kids. It was just observing exactly these types of things. I remember, I'm going to 
try to have to pull the details out. So I remember testing a child years ago. Gosh, this would be in the 90s. Uh, where I was giving this early 90s, I was giving this child a test of auditory discrimination because mm-hmm. I had noticed that every time, like he, this child had some language, but would inaccurately label objects. So like had different, like would get things mix, mixed up, which was a very unusual thing. So I did this test and I'm trying to remember I think it was like one page of the test it showed, uh, and this was just trying to identify uh, labels, right? So I would say touch, I think it was cow. There was a cow on the page and there was a picture of a moon on the page and a bunch of other things. And when I, whenever I would say something like touch cow, he would actually touch the picture of the moon. Hmm it was the other way around. I realized that he does not hear the ending sound. That's right. I would say moon and he would touch the picture of the cow because he would hear moo. And he Ah. thought I'm saying touch the animal that makes the sound moo. And we discovered that because we also on another uh, section of the same test, it was like, I think it was cab, cash, cat, and he was getting all of those wrong. He just didn't hear the last uh, consonant sound. And so that was very early on. And Shannon, of course, if you remember, there was a whole era of auditory integration training and so on. So you are absolutely right that our kids, um, there is some literature that shows that they do hear things quite differently Um, It could be that you can have this test done, which is the test of auditory integration, or you can do an auditory brainstem test, which will actually just tell you what frequencies of sound your child hears or doesn't hear. And that is very, very helpful to identifying exactly what things have to... Yeah, you heard my dog here. There's some background noise. I don't know if you can hear it as well, but she hears it and she's like, what does that sound? Yeah, I don't know what it's coming from, uh, but we do hear it. Uh, but that's... I, we, I, I could tell that there was someone there with you and I should have known that it was an animal. Uh, I, should have, I should have known that. It's like, what is that sound I hear? That? That's exactly my point. Like we hear different things, right? We yeah. all hear different things. And so that definitely absolutely affects the learning of, of, of words and articulation. There is no question about it. That's why I still have an accent, even though I've been living in the States for so many years. When I learned English, I learned it in England and then, it, you know, it got mixed up with a million different languages. And so what, what I learned had a different sound and that is still what I produce and so uh, definitely it will affect the articulation of the child. But that's okay because over time with ABA, with quality speech therapy, those things are overcome. And I find this all very fascinating um, because I, I think we all have our ears tuned to certain things. Like I love to watch TV programs that are that come from Scotland or uh, different area, like there's a show called Dairy Girls, which I just yes. find hilarious. And um, but they have thick accents. And the the longer I watch the show, the more my 
my ear gets tuned to it and I can hear it. And it really helps when I have the closed captioning on. And I think all the time about um, Carly Fleischman, who she's the young girl that was completely nonverbal. I mean, like not just nonvocal, nonverbal. They tried everything to find a way to communicate with her, to teach her, and nothing was getting through. She didn't know the alphabet. She didn't have a way of telling you anything. And her parents finally made their peace with it. And I won't say gave up, but they stopped pushing for learning because they believed it wasn't going to happen. She was that right. level of impacted. And then the, the rest of the family went away on a vacation when she was 13. And she's the one who famously took the, the laptop computer away from the caregiver that she had and typed teeth hurt, please help. Oh this my is gosh. A, this is a young woman. Crazy. That nobody knew that she understood what the letter A was. They didn't know that she knew the word please or yeah. help. Right. Yeah. And she typed it. And and now, of course, Carly is has been, you know, if you've not watched when she interviews Channing Tatum, I'm telling you, you've missed it. It's the most fun thing in the world uh, to see her interview Channing Tatum. She still is non-vocal, but she types and write and answers people's questions. And she writes these things to tell you about what was going on with her. And she says, that somewhere in her teen years with all of the the changes that happened with her probably hormonally she started finally she could like sound was this thing and she couldn't pick out what it was she couldn't find the threads and then when she started puberty like certain sounds it was like it it got dialed in for her and she started to be able to hear language right that's and right. and comprehend it. And That's she's right. had a couple of th- times that have, you know, where it's been affected for her again, where it's been harder for her to hear sounds. Um, from what I've heard recently, she's doing quite well. But it's fascinating to me, this, this, this whole thing. It's almost like it's a radio frequency that they yes. can't quite get on. Or there's another radio frequency sound that is louder that's disrupting this one. That yeah. is hard, makes it harder. Like, I never forget that, you know, one of my kids used to say that this I could hear, but it was sound of language was background noise. And like yeah. other sounds were very, very prevalent. So that's one thing. The other thing is like, you know, to this day, like one of our, one of my other ch- children always says that I had to focus on those language sounds, I had to really make myself focus on it. And it's, it just keeps coming back to me now after this conversation I had yesterday with the gentleman who was saying he has continued tinnitus. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking to myself, you know, like when I, sometimes with me, if there's like, if I'm at home and I'm watching a TV show and there's like the gardener outside with the blower or something, I'm done. Like yeah. I, interestingly enough, I have to turn on the, the, um, words, you know, the, the closed captioning. Yeah. Closed captioning because again, and notice what that is, that's like now going from auditory to visual because Mm -hmm. that helps me because I just can't focus on what's coming at me because of that background noise. It's very interesting. And, and with autism, we definitely need to do more work in that area. Well, can I also say that it was mind blowing to me when when skills came out 
And I had the opportunity as, as a parent that I wish everybody had the opportunity that I got to delve into each one of the areas and learn very specifically about it so that I could speak intelligently about it on the show. It really, it was like, for me, it was like graduate school, you know, cause I was learning. And, and when I got to the section about phonemic awareness, the teacher in me, um, because for years when I was teaching in the classroom, sometimes you would have a kiddo that. I would be 100% sure that there was just so much more there for the kiddo. But I would hear from the previous teacher, this kid is a behavior problem. This kid is not interested in learning. This kid is, yeah. you know, oppositional. And what I would find in the classroom is that, you know, I might give a direction and say, okay, let's put away our books and let's, you know, get ready. Let's line up at the door, right? And there, there's the, the kid who just doesn't do it. Yeah. And and they that kid gets labeled as a problem and then that goes with them all throughout school. But what I would find is that if you taught because that kid couldn't hear it for whatever reason, there was too much going on. That kid couldn't hear it. But if you could say to that kiddo, hey, when you see that everybody else has put their books away, just copy them. Yeah. But then they were totally willing to comply. They just didn't know what to do. And when yeah. you're in a place where you don't you miss the direction and you don't know what to do, you feel wrong and you feel bad and you then misbehave if you're a child. So, you know, when I learned about phonemic awareness and that some of our kids don't, the English language is very difficult. And the fact that there are diphthongs and triphthongs and some of our kids don't know how to decode them. I'm telling you, my head went. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to take that back into the classroom and teach that to every teacher, how to recognize when a kid is not catching the direction, not because they want to misbehave or they don't, they're, you know, they're not compliant. They, they literally could not hear it. Yeah. And that makes me, and that makes me wonder, Shannon, it's like one of those things I wish I could experiment with. And maybe I will with some of the kids that I still work with, but you know how I told you that I'm really getting interested in virtual reality stuff, because I think that it produces like this environment that is visually a closed environment so the child is not able to like be distracted and they're focused. So I'm wondering if the same holds true for auditory input, right? And whether or not we could, if we gave instruction or if we gave communication language or whatever through noise canceling headphones, how would that be? You know, how would that help the child focus? And if they had a the, the uh, VR goggles as well as the headphones, would that actually significantly improve their acquisition of new material? I think you're absolutely on the right track. Some of the things that people have been writing in, uh, they're, they're saying that their kids love accents, that they're terribly interested in accents, and in particular that they love Peppa Pig. Yeah. And that, uh, which, I, you know, because I got a, a grandniece who's really into Peppa Pig, uh, to the point where they're learning to say words like George and Mama and saying them with a British accent because they're watching it on a TV yeah. program. Yeah, I which love that. I, I do think that there's something to this. One of the things that we've discovered in the teens, uh, the teenagers on the spectrum, is that 
I don't, I wonder if it's because they had so much that they had to overcome auditory when they were kids that they have a heightened sense of it as teens. Because we find that some of the kids, they're, they're more in tune to accents and, and doing voices for voiceover, that a lot of them are going into voiceover work um, and that they have a better ear for accents than kids who are not on the spectrum. My kid is one of those. Uh, and we well, put him in a, an accent class. Yeah. That's very interesting. And of course, as you know, a lot of our adolescents also have a better ear for music. Yes. You yes. know, so it should be a similar type of situation. I think, I mean, it's unbelievable. I just saw uh, one of those, uh, America's Got Talent. Mm-hmm. And there were these two brothers with autism and one was playing an instrument and the other one was like singing in different accents like multiple, multiple different voices and accents. And it was shocking. It was unbelievable how good it was. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think we're on to something. Amanda says that her son can play by ear and we see that there are some individuals on the spectrum by no means all of them, but that can hear something and then play it on an instrument with absolutely no training for that. My son could never have done that, but what, what was amazing when he was younger, I don't know that he can do this as much now, but we, any music that he heard, if he heard it in a movie, like instrumental, incidental music in the background, he could recognize it and tell you what movie it was from. So yeah. it, when you go to Disneyland, wherever you are, they're playing instrumental music that's from some Disney movie. And, and we would sit there and, and, you know, for me, I would drown that out. I'd be like dealing with the tickets or whatever. And, and he would sit there and, and he would go Mary Poppins Maybe, and, yeah. and then something else would happen and, and he would go, Oh, sword in the stone. And, and eventually I said, why are you saying the names of those movies? He goes, Oh, that's the music that they're playing. And I would have to listen to it. And I would go, how can you even, he- I'm not even yeah. hearing it. Yeah, how see, can you hear you it and remember it from a movie that you haven't seen in two years? And it right. was incidental music, not like yes. the theme song to it. Yeah. Um, so it's amazing. Um, you know, and, and that, that's another example, Shannon, of how he is like, it's, you know, we've learned to make it background and he's focused on it. Yeah. And that's what I mean. And if you're focused on that, there's just so much you can be focused on, right? So yeah, like you're focused exactly. on that. Are you focused on language too? It's very interesting. Well, and I, the reason why I say, I don't know if he can still do it because now he's, he's learned you know, to go the other way around. Right. Now he's paying attention to the social cues and all the other things. And I don't think he has as much bandwidth to, you know, listen to the music and pick what thing it's from. And when he's watching a movie, he's more interested in what's happening to the characters than listening to the music in the background. Exactly. Which is how, you know, and you wonder, uh, okay. So Amanda says we need research on that. Dr. Doreen about the perception of sound in our kids on the spectrum and accents and what, whatnot. Um, I want to take a minute to talk about um, the fact, and we've got time for one more question if somebody has a question that they want to write in. But I I want to talk a little bit about when people have questions that you can be writing in during the live show. Of course, you can send me questions, Shannon at autism-live.com. But more and more of you are taking advantage of asking questions of Dr. Doreen on TikTok. Talk to us a little bit about how that works. I still am not... TikTok profession, yeah, Dr. Grandy of course. Shane. 
And also, I mean, it's also starting a little bit on Instagram as well, which I love. So on TikTok, you just, uh, I have a show, it's called, or, or a name, Ask Dr. Doreen on TikTok. And you basically can go in there and just send me a message. And then I will get your question and then I will either respond to you in writing so that you get it or I will just do a short video responding to you on TikTok and then you'll see it. And the same for Instagram and we're starting to do a little bit more or as much as I can on social media to help with these types of questions. So please feel free. TikTok is a little limiting because I think the maximum I right now, I think I can go to about three minutes max but it's, it's a little bit difficult to keep all of your answers short, you know? The other thing is, Shannon, I think I've passed a certain number on TikTok. So one of the things that we could do and we should talk about doing is doing live um, segments on TikTok. And I don't know what the limit is on that. I'll have to learn more, but that's another thing. I have put on a bunch of stuff on there. Um, which has to do with, I, I did a whole series, I think, on uh, potty training. I did a whole series on what is good ABA. There's like multiple um, uh, videos because they were just too short. So I put a bunch of stuff on there. And Amanda, yes, we are, have been on YouTube forever, right? Because it's, it's hosting our, our it, it keeps all of our videos, so, um, <clears throat> so that's really good. But that being said, I think you might be seeing like new, new summaries, or I don't know if TikTok is now, I mean, sorry, YouTube is now like just showing our stuff in a different version, but it's, it's been there for a long time. We're trying to organize it better for, for our viewers. Yeah. YouTube has made a lot of changes recently, and I think you're going to see a lot more changes we we've been on YouTube since I think day two. Um, you and yes. YouTube continues to be one of our greatest partners and resources for us to put more information out in more ways. Um, so uh, we're we're excited to be partnering with YouTube in a new way, and we we hope that you guys will see some changes coming um, because of, of those changes that, that are being done. So, uh, I also want to say, cause we've only got a couple of minutes here that, uh, we got a couple of new things that are coming up that I don't even know how much some of them, Dr. Grampy Shea knows, and some of them she may not know, um, that tomorrow's show, you guys know that for, for 10 years, we've been doing, let's talk autism with Shannon and Nancy and Nancy's not going anywhere, but Nancy's got a lot of things that she's doing. And so she's going to be doing less here. So she'll still do Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy one um, one Thursday a month. That'll be the first Thursday of the month. And then we're going to be filling in Let's Talk other things um, with other people on those other Thursdays. And so you guys know, if you watched, we did a special Oscar episode where we had Moira Giamatteo. Moira is one of the ladies at Taka that she used to be the head of the mentor program. I think now she's the head of the scholarship program. She was my mentor, my biomedical mentor. Oh my gosh. I still call her when I'm like, oh, this medicine or that medicine, a wealth of knowledge. But she also, like me, likes to watch a lot of television and movies. So when, when we decided that we were going to do a special Oscar show, we had Moira come in and co-host with me. And you guys responded so much to that. And Moira said to me, oh, Shannon, I would just like to do that 
all the time. And I said, I would too. So here we are once a month, we're going to do Let's Talk Movies with Moira and Shannon. And, you know, we're two ponies, parents of neurodiverse individuals. So of course, we're going to be talking about it and and when autism comes up, because autism is a running theme through a lot of these things, but we're also going to be reviewing and telling you what we recommend and what we don't recommend, because we're sort of the, I guess now the people have said we're the Siskel and Ebert of autism parents, um, because we don't agree on a whole lot. Uh, and you get a different point of view, because so many of you have started asking us, in your free time, in your downtime, part of your respite is what you're watching and that you want to know what's good and not waste your time. And we'll tell you what's bad. And oh, Dr. Grampuche, there is some bad, bad, smelly poo-poo stuff out there right now. I just watched something uh, night before last that was so bad I couldn't even write a review of it. It was just as we say. My favorite <laughs> it was so bad. It, I was going to tell you guys, uh, but then tune in tomorrow to find out more. But it, it's on Netflix. It's that show Interceptor. Oh, it was so bad. And at one point it was so bad we couldn't stop watching it. And and my son was watching it and he said, this is just unrelentingly bad. And I said, how how do they get things like this made? I don't even know the leading woman. What is What has she done before? And then we then we were like, oh, okay. Um, apparently, she's from Fast and Furious, but she's married to to one of the Helmsworth Helmsworth uh, oh, the, oh, I see. Uh, the Hulk. That's who she's married to, and they produced it together. That's how they got that movie made, and they're already getting ready to make the sequel. <laughs> it's so bad. Don't waste your time. Um, anyway, so let's talk movies with Moira and Shannon. We promise it'll be a laugh. We will give you an update on anything new that's happening at Taka that you'll want to um, be tuned into. Like we'll give you news about their conferences that are coming up and, you know, before we've been able to help uh, to give some free tickets for that. So, we'll, you know, it, there will be autism information, but there will also be information about movies. We've got some other guests that are joining us in subsequent weeks to talk about other things, which I will let you guys know. But the other thing I wanted to mention is don't forget that on Saturday night, it is the Ed as it's the 10th annual Ed Asner Celebrity and Friends Poker Tournament. And and Dr. Grampiche, I know you are a sponsor this year. And maybe you want to just take one second and talk about why you decided you wanted to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I love to support uh, Matt and Nava. They have a wonderful center, the Ed Asner Center. And I think that they provide a lot of service to the community and to people where these services are not available in other places. So um, I do encourage you, if you have the ability to go online and donate to their events, if you cannot, then certainly watch the event because it is a wonderful, wonderful event. And I know Shannon, you're probably covering it as well. I wish I was in town. I would definitely be there a hundred percent, but, and, and maybe it's good that I'm not in town because um, I therefore gave, you know, now I have the ability to give to you to give away those 10 seats so hopefully yes. you were able to do that as well. I did. And there's some very grateful people that are going to be going to the poker Wonderful. tournament. Uh, if you were in Los Angeles, I reached out to you. Uh, <laughs> so 
So, and if you did not pick up my call, then there's nothing I can tell you. Um, But there's some amazing parents uh, that are going to be able to go as a result of your generosity. And um, I want to tell you, if you're not in the LA area, that I I want you to know that the online auction is open now. If you go to Ed Asner Family Center, I bought a bed two years ago from their auction from Plush Bed, Dr. Doreen, best bed I've ever owned ever. And I got such a good deal on it and it was a donation to charity. So they have trips. Uh, I know you've participated in the auction before. At one of their auctions, my niece, uh, her husband got to go to that uh, Field of Dreams experience. Um, So uh, there's great things on the auction, even if you can't be in LA. But I think, I have to confirm, but I think that we're going to be doing a live feed on that night. Um, and so we'll be there talking with celebrities and, um, we'll give you more information about that on tomorrow's show. So, uh, anyway, we're way past time now. I I ran us way over, but Dr. Grampy I adore you. I'm, uh, looking forward to being back in the studio with you, but I love getting to do this with you in this way. Thank you so much, Shannon. Thank you, everyone. And thanks for bearing with all the background noise. I just now have like the gardener right outside my window in this hotel. But what can you do? It was always lovely to be here. It's what happens. Anyway, we'll be back tomorrow with Let's Talk Movies with Moira and Shannon. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Bye, everyone.